Recording in progress. Hello everyone, welcome to the November 16th meeting of the Parks and Open Space, the last meeting of the year. Um, just a reminder to everyone that this meeting is being conduct is still being conducted in the hybrid format, right? This meeting? Yes, okay. <laughs> hybrid format, so members of the public can participate online using the Zoom link posted in the agenda. And we will now move on to the item number two of our agenda, which is public comments. Any comments from the public members? Nobody has Please. their hands raised online. Please, come in. Commission members and staff, my name is Andrew Ward. Um, thank you for the opportunity to share my comment. My name is Andrew Ward. I'm a resident of unincorporated Novato and uh, the County of Marin and um, a new member of the Measure A Oversight Committee. Um, but I'm here just to share a, uh, a personal experience I had that I'm really grateful for the work of the Parks Department for. Um, I had been traveling and uh, came back into town late on the evening of October 16th 
I live across the street from the Loma Verde Preserve. Um, so there's a county road and then the preserve. And um, that night, an abandoned car was lit on fire um, right there in front of the preserve. Um, and the Nevada Fire Department and the Sheriff's Department quickly responded. But by the time they got there, the, the flames had started to go up onto the preserve. And they quickly got it out. Um, and then just this week, um, yesterday, in fact, when I was leaving for work, the um, cleanup crews and the fire reduction crews were doing um, work um, right in that area and in the area right outside my front door. Um, so my neighborhood is, it's not, uh, it's a pretty modest neighborhood, uh, mostly seniors and a few families like me with little kids. And so I'm just really grateful for um, the fact that that area is being maintained, that flammable um, debris is being cleaned up. And uh, I was just really impressed and surprised by the timing to see the Measure A signs out there and, and the quick um, the quick work that's being done. So uh, it's a really uh, volatile neighborhood with the older adults and the kids in there if that area were to catch on fire. So thank you. Thank you. Any any other comments from public uh, in the chamber? Any comments of the public online? There are no hands raised online. Okay, thank you. So we move on to the third item in our agenda, which is introduction to our for two new commissioners, right? And I'd like to let the Commissioner Bonds introduce himself. Thank you. Sorry, I'm gonna work this way. Uh, yes. There we go, hey. Thank you. Um, it's a great honor to be up here. And I'm, I first want to apologize for missing the field trip. I was on an out-of-town work trip. Um, and I did get to go out with Max and Chris and see some of the facilities. And it's great to be up here with you, but I love being on sites and, and seeing our wonderful facilities. I look forward to working with all of you and the public as well. Um, I, I appreciate this opportunity. Thank you. Following the agenda, we have the, an action item on the approval of the minutes. Anyone approval? I second. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 So, Aye. approval all on the minutes as, as, as sent to the commissioners. Again. Okay. Number four, we skipped number four. We skipped number four. Oh, yeah, directors. Oh, it's you. Yeah, sorry, sorry, yeah. Okay, we can do that now, right? The <laughs> directors, directors report, sorry. No problem, no problem. Thank Let's you. Um, Max Gordon, director of Marin County Parks. And um, man, it's a busy time right now. Our crews are out doing a lot of work. Um, we're wrapping up work at Roy's Redwoods uh, Preserve. That's a really big uh, restoration and trail improvement project that started this year. It will continue next year. We kind of take a pause for the winter, um, but already really neat trail work being done out there. And so we'll, I'm sure we'll get another chance, but if any of you want to go check it out, I'd welcome you to do so, and I'm happy to come go out there with you if you'd like to see it. Um, and then I... Uh, uh, some drainage work uh, is uh, nearing completion out by Escalon uh, Fire Road. Uh, some, let's see, a bridge uh, was recently replaced on the Cary Camp Trail in Cascade Canyon. Uh, a lot of fuels reduction work going on multiple places around the county. 
um, pile burning. You know, we partnered with Marin County Fire on the, uh, one of the prescribed fires up by uh, the H Ranch and our uh, Indian Tree Preserve. Um, we just completed a repair project on uh, the paved pathway at McNear's Beach Park. Uh, it got um, partially destroyed by the winter storms, and so we were able to repair that path, although it will undoubtedly need re repairs in the future and other places as well. Um, and then in Cascade Canyon, we released the response to comments on the CEQA document for uh, a project to um, add a couple of trail bridges and make a few other uh, uh, changes there uh, and are planning to bring that project to our board for approval in uh, on December 28th. And then uh, the board uh, approved the Bolinas uh, North End uh, restoration and uh, sea level rise adaptation project uh, a few weeks ago, and that's really exciting. We also, the board also approved $7 million worth of grants from the state and federal government to support that work, and so uh, we're just waiting to get permits, which shouldn't take too much longer, and then uh, we can get to work. The first stage of work is actually removing invasive species from the, the site, because there's um, cape ivy there, so if, if you start digging when the cape ivy's in there, it can just spread throughout the site, so we're trying to remove that first, and then uh, and then we can get to work on some of the bigger portions of that project uh, next year. And that's my report. Oh, sorry, November 28th is when Cascade Canyon is going to our board, not December 28th. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Max. Any comments from the public in the chambers? Online? There are no hands raised online. Comments from any of the commissioners here? No comments. At oh, the I forgot one other one other thing to point out. Yes. Across the street at Lagoon Park, we're actually doing some work to remove uh, an invasive aquatic plant out there right now. So, if you want to see uh, parks in action, there's there's a project going on there right now. Okay. Thank you, Max. That's 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 a great project out there. Awesome. Also, the all the projects are really great. I'm pretty excited about Royce Redwoods to have to get back out there. Okay, moving on to I. Oh, sorry. Yes. What about seasonal work? Do, is there a? We have a, quite a few employees and projects that are seasonal. When do those kind of wrap up? And you go kind of like to a winter staff with winter projects and then ramp it back up again? I mean, how does that fluctuate during this time of year? Yeah, so our seasonals are, our seasonal staff are reaching the end of their season. We have 100, about 100 regular hire staff and about 50 seasonal staff. So they are reaching the end of their season, and so we do go down to a lower staffing because um, our visitation's lower and our, we can't do as many projects. A lot, most of our projects have uh, an end date that's prescribed in their permits uh, as October 15th or when it starts raining, you know, significantly. So if the winter stays dry enough, we can do work longer. But if we start getting significant rainfall, then it pretty much stops a lot of the projects that we do. And so our biggest construction window is between the end of bird nesting season, you know, which is depending on the species, but by 
for spotted owls or whatever, it's August 1st and October 15th. So that's like our, that's our really busy season to get stuff done. Thank you. I'd just like to, uh, you know, credit staff for being successful in applying for grants. And uh, also just to remind everyone that the fact that we do have Measure A uh, gives us uh, capital funds to match. So you're, you're much more competitive if you come in with matching funds. So, uh, you know, kudos to staff for taking advantage of uh, what the public's offered us through uh, these, this wonderful Measure A. Thank you. Okay. Item number six is a presentation one times regional forest health strategy. Thank you. Uh, well, I couldn't, this couldn't be a better transition from that discussion about taking advantage of uh, funding because one thing that really enables us to take advantage of uh, state and federal funding is our one TAM partnership. And as, as you may remember, I think I've talked about it with this group many times in the past, but uh, you just got to press hard. So, um, you know, it's a partnership between uh, Golden Gate National Recreation Area, the National Park Service, state parks, and uh, Marin Municipal Water District and Marin County Parks with Golden Gate National Parks Conservancy as the nonprofit organization at the center of that partnership. And Golden Gate National Parks, it's, uh, to me, is like one of the most exciting things we get to be a part of. Golden Gate National Parks Conservancy uh, is, you know, really like the leading park, nonprofit park partner, you know, in the country and has raised significant money for the National Park Service, but also their other park partners, including two of those projects that we mentioned. Roy's Redwoods is one of our one-tam projects. Bolinas is another one. Bothine Marsh is another. Um, and, uh, and it's also, in addition to helping us raise money and do cool things, it also enables us to, like, engage in science and envisioning stewardship at a landscape level, something that we couldn't do ourselves, because if you look at our preserves, they're scattered around the county, really disconnected from each other. Well, this partnership enables us to look at the, at the forest and the county as more as a whole, and so... One thing we've been working on is this um, forth, forest health strategy, and we're lucky to have Danny here. who's like an amazing um, person, period, but uh, but a leader for this project. And so I'll turn it over to him. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Max. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the invitation to be here. It's always a pleasure. Um, so I do have some slides that we'll be showing. Um, and as Max said, I'm going to share a little bit about the Marin Regional Forest Health Strategy. We turned in our forest health strategy uh, earlier this year, so our, this is a strategic plan that has now been completed. Of course, now the real work begins of implementing the strategy, um, and I'm happy to talk about that uh, now, today, or, or in, fu in future invitations to come speak. Um, you can advance the slide. As Max said, um, this is an, an initiative of the OneTAM Collaborative. Uh, the partners and their logos are there on the PowerPoint that you see. OneTAM was established in 2014. Uh, the collaborative really is designed to build on the strengths and unique talents of each partner agency. Um, the partnership provides us a platform to work collaboratively and across jurisdictional boundaries for the benefit of both community and the environment. 
Um, so I'd like to start my presentation on the forest health strategy with a little bit of background on another report that we produced as part of the OneTam Collaborative back in 2016. This is when OneTam was initially getting going. Uh, one of the first things they did was to dig into the available science to establish baseline conditions for the health of natural resources on Mount Tamalpais and the surrounding area. This highlighted the need to work with partners to address threats to forest ecosystem function. Those are things like weeds, plant disease, and the exclusion of fire from a fire-adapted landscape. So a key takeaway from this kind of baseline conditions report is that forests in Marin can benefit from active stewardship and active management. Um, but uh, after the 2016 peak health report, we were left with some key questions. How should we approach this challenge? Um, where should the one-time partners focus their management actions? Uh, what does the, the data and science say? Um, what is the intersection between uh, Marin's fire prevention needs and uh, forest resilience needs? All of these kind of uh, existential questions around forests kind of really inspired us to do this strategic planning effort. Um, next slide. So a bit of background on why healthy forests are really important for Marin, and maybe this is obvious, but I think it, it bears repeating, and there's some nice pictures that you can enjoy while I tell you about it. Uh, forests and all the natural processes that take place within them provide benefits for all living creatures. Uh, Marin County is unique in that it has 24 distinct native forest types within the county. Uh, that includes conifers like Coast Redwood and Douglas fir. It also includes evergreen hardwood species like uh, madrone or coast live oak, um, and even fire-dependent forest types like bishop pine. Uh, forest ecosystems provide habitat for wildlife like bats, uh, salmon, northern spotted owls, many, many more. Uh, Three-quarters of Marin's water comes from the heavily forested Mount Tamalpais watershed lands. Uh, without healthy, resilient forests, Marin's water quality and quantity is vulnerable to threats like extreme wildfire, erosion, sedimentation, climate change, uh, again, trees breathe in carbon dioxide, which is a greenhouse gas uh, that traps heat and contributes to climate change. Trees breathe out oxygen that humans need. Forests store carbon in their biomass, which then gets released in the event of a high-severity wildfire, which then just adds more carbon dioxide to the air. Uh, the forested parklands and protected open spaces in Marin provide people with opportunities to get outdoors and exercise, uh, activities that are healthy for the body and for the mind. Uh, these areas also draw millions of visitors a year to Marin, which generates revenue for local government, businesses, and creates jobs. Uh, the ecological health and long-term resilience of forests and woodlands in Marin is already being impacted by disease, uh, plant disease path pathogens like sudden oak death, which you may have heard of, uh, introduced weeds, past and present land use, uh, the exclusion of fire, uh, the legacy of colonization, uh, climate change, and hazardous wildfire. Uh, so the bottom line is, is that trees take care of us, so we need to take care of the trees and forests. Uh, so as I said, we turned in the Marin Regional Forest Health Strategy, so I'd like to just share now some of the key outcomes or key takeaways from that initiative. So we developed goals for the health and resilience of five key forest types to protect or enhance ecosystem services like clean water, carbon sequestration, carbon sequestration and wildlife habitat, uh, we used another one-tam initiative, the Marin Countywide Fine Scale Vegetation Map, as the basic unit of analysis to help us identify the distribution of all the forest types in Marin County, and importantly, whose land are they on, which open space preserves, uh, which state park units, which national park lands. Um, this helped us create a framework for identifying priority projects 
so that we can identify forests that are in need of stewardship, uh, bring more grant dollars uh, to Marin, leverage those Measure A funds, uh, and to prioritize the existing funding that we have. Um, the strategy also describes methods for monitoring treatment outcomes and landscape changes. It provides us with opportunities to engage uh, audiences and community members throughout the process. The forest health strategy was developed over a three-year period uh, with the one-tam partners in collaboration with the Federated Indians of Grattan Rancheria. Very proud of that tribal uh, um, involvement in the development of the strategic plan. We also included uh, the Marin Wildfire Prevention Authority and a team of consultants and technical reviewers in our working group. Uh, the next slide is really just a, a list of links for you to explore uh, uh, at another time. We developed some really cool spatial tools like a forest health web app that allows you to kind of fly around the county uh, looking at different layers that kind of depict forest conditions at landscape scale. We have some really cool pre-generated reports that you can access through this link uh, that kind of summarize some of the key takeaways at the watershed scale for, for each watershed in Marin. Um, we've got a cool virtual self-guided tour that you can take, kind of like a story map. And then we have, uh, this is really fun, we created a self-guided walk um, that will take you around Lake Lagunitas, looking at some of the forest health stressors and work that Marin Water is doing as part of the regional forest health strategy uh, to address stressors to ecological uh, uh, stress and uh, improve forest health around that critical water storage uh, so it's great. You can print it out and, and kind of walk around the trail, a very beautiful trail if you've never gone around Lag Lake, and uh, stop along the way and sort of uh, uh, have the, the brochure interpret what you're seeing in front of you. So that's the end of my slides and presentation, but I'm happy to take any questions, and thank you for your time and attention. Any question from the public, Ms. Chambers? Oh, you have a question coming. It looked like there was so much good information in that document. Is that in the agenda? Like, can we find that if we go online and go into the agenda? Great. Uh, so the, the whole document itself is on the OneTam website. Uh -huh. So you can just go to OneTam Forest Health, and you'll have access to all the tools and maps and data. And yeah, Great. everything's right there. Awesome. Thank you. Of course. Good question. Any questions on the online? There are no hands raised. Commissioners? Well, I just congratulate you for an excellent uh, presentation and appreciate the additional links. I, I was curious as to whether um, in some of these pop-ups you also have visitation uh, numbers in these various watersheds. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, visitation is not something that we track one TAM wide yet that I know of, um, but I'm sure that the individual agencies have visitation numbers on their different preserves or different parklands. Um, not something that we summarize as part of our work, but something that we could summarize in the future. Well, I would th think it would be helpful because the number of people to, is a variable, you know, when you're looking at the threats and also the benefits. So I think that trying to integrate uh, that in because it does have a bearing on health and benefits. So I'd encourage you to try and uh, look forward to bringing that number in. I'd, Commissioner Diet, I'd add, you know, this is, um, well, one, we do have great numbers on visitation and that we're looking forward to, we'll do a presentation about our preserves and parks and visitation yes. in the future. 
Um, we have a new tool that's helping us get better information on that. And then I know Marin Water also is doing a recreation plan where they have some visitation numbers. But to be real specific, this project is about managing vegetation, right? It's yes. not so much, it's not looking at every aspect of, of the work of managing open space or public land. It's really looking at managing the vegetation and the forests on Mount Tam across this landscape. And we know we're heading into a, fu a future that's warmer, that has more droughts, that has bigger storms, that has more fires. How can we steward the forest so that they're sustainable in terms of managing the vegetation out there? And the, the cool thing to me is like when, you know, we're, when we're thinking about like what we do in terms of vegetation management, our biggest focus is defensible space. We have like 3,500 backyards that back up against our preserve, so it's just maintaining that defensible space. And the fire departments are an MWPA partner with us to take a bigger, you know, um, look at some areas that have really severe fire hazard in the county. But this work, this is the strategy, and out of that we can do really exciting sort of forward-thinking forest management work that's really aimed, it has all those benefits of, of conserving water, of reducing uh, fuel load, but also really of like enhancing the forests and the ecosystems themselves to be resilient. I fully appreciate that, but just thought that the human dimension might be helpful when you're thinking about priorities and trying to decide, uh, you know, which uh, geographic area is going to um, get, because you're allocating resources for forest uh, management, and I just uh, am wondering whether that, that might be an added dimension that the Wontam people might want to benefit from your very clear thinking and knowledge. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate it. Do you have any other questions? Yeah, I, I do, yeah. Um, I guess my question is, so you've did these uh, this survey back in 2016 to create kind of the baseline. So now that you have a baseline, do you see you're measuring other things to compare the differences and the changes? And if there are, are there have there been significant positive changes, improvements? And I would say performance measure, performance game. Once you know where you are, you can know if you're doing better mm. or worse. And are, are there things that we should be alarmed at that are mm. the canaries in the coal mine from these that you see? that should be getting your attention? Because I imagine by doing this, you see, well, what is the health? Mm. Is it healthy? It's healthy here, but it's not healthy there, those kind of things. Mm. So I guess from this, do you, do you, have you based plans of actions and things like that towards mitigating the problems and kind of reinforcing the things are doing well? Mm. Yeah, I can, I can answer, but yeah. I'm I mean, I'd let Danny jump in, but another, just to highlight another cool one TAM project is our, uh, what's it called, our, our um, peak health, peak health. Yeah. thank you, which is exactly what I think you're asking about. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk more about Yeah, this? I can share a little bit because um, there's a couple things going on there. The 2016 baseline that I referenced in that slide deck is the peak health report that Max just mentioned. And actually, uh, uh, county, county park staff as well as other one-tam partner agency staff have been working on an update to that document, so uh, which is I think it'll be out very very soon. It, you know, maybe early next year. 
Um, and that will do some of what you're looking for, which is what is the condition trend for these key ecosystems and species that are identified in the peak health report. Um, so that, you know, and, it, and I think the important takeaway from that analysis will be that it's not uniform across the landscape, to your point. Some, in some places, coast redwoods are thriving. In other places, the health of coast redwoods is being impacted by weeds or uh, is being, uh, or the understory of coast red is, redwood is being changed by the sudden oak death uh, uh, pathogen, right? And so um, it's important to note that the peak health report establishes some condition trends, but there's a lot of nuance in that. So um, I don't know that I'd say it was a canary in a coal mine, but there are places that um, pop out on a map that uh, we can use to focus our stewardship efforts and our resources. And that's the model that we really took to the forest health strategy, taking that baseline condition that's in the 2016 peak health report, and then bringing in, in some additional analysis to try and exactly what you're saying, look at you know where the problem areas are, where are there concentrations of sudden oak death impacts, where are there concentrations of uh, you know dense uh, Douglas fir that uh, is encroaching into open canopy oak woodlands in the absence of a natural fire regime? So these are some of the things that we did look into to kind of uh, hone in on uh, uh, our understanding of the landscape. Yeah, and you thank can, you. You can check out that the peak health report that the earlier versions of it uh, online on our website or the One Tam website. And I mean, it's cool. They're like you know, there's some. Just like Danny said, there's some species that are doing really well. There's some locations that are doing really well. There's other places they're struggling. I mean, like the spotted owl, you know, it's so cool that in their range, they're really struggling because of barred owls that have gotten introduced. We've been really fortunate in Marin County to that, you know, we haven't had that as much and that they're doing better. So, it, you know, it, it's, you know, it's What's the name of decal report? Peak, oh, sorry, peak health. Peak health. It's a, like peak, peak like one okay. tam. Okay. Yeah, the peak. Um, and, I, and we should come back and, and after that that update is released and do a, kind of a highlights for you all. I think that would be really that would be really cool. Thank you. I have kind of two. One is related to this topic, and I have not read the peak report, so sorry. Um, but something piqued my interest in that. Um, <laughs> do you? Recommend peak, uh, <laughs> recommend prescribed burns, or are you working with the agencies on where and how to do those, or what's that format? Yeah, no, thank you for that question. Um, and Max probably has some more to add, but I'll just I'll say that um, fire is a natural part of the landscape, uh, right? All of the all of the 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 uh, ecosystems that are part of the California floristic province have largely evolved with fire being a natural part of the landscape. And um, you know, in modern times, we have departed from that that natural fire regime, and that has impacts on the health of uh, forest, forested ecosystems, in addition to all the public sa safety stuff, right? Um, and so uh, prescribed fire has to be a tool that, that, that land managers you know, use as part of the, the tools in the toolbox for restoring that natural process on the landscape. It has so many benefits. There are many, many plants uh, in Marin County that require fire for regeneration, and in the absence of fire, we lose those species, right? We lose that diversity. Um, so I am proud to say that, you know, as part of our One Tam Forest Health Initiative, we were awarded in 2020 a CAL FIRE Forest Health Grant. Uh, the Parks Conservancy has been managing that on behalf of the collaborative. Uh, and just a couple weeks ago, you may have seen in the news that Marin Water was 
able to pull off an 11 acre uh, burn up on Rock Springs. It's right at the top of Tam. You can you can drive up to it and and hop right out of your car and and see that uh, burn. And and, and uh, so yes, the answer the short answer is yes. Prescribed fire is a tool in the toolbox, and I'm happy to say that we're we're working to support fire agencies and the open space agencies in bringing that process back to Marin. Thank you. Did you want to, Max, or? I was just gonna say, I mean, to me, to. it's <laughs> one of the cool things about our yeah. partnership is like our lands are like in people's backyards. So it's very hard to find places to do prescribed fire. But when we're working across a partnership, we get to use every tool, right? Because like the water, Marin water has, you know, much, uh, a much, much bigger sort of contiguous land base that's further away, that's better in some ways for prescribed fire. Like for us, we did prescribed fire an Indian tree in partnership with the H Ranch, because again, that's another place that's a little further away from neighborhoods and things like that. So, you know, we use every single tool that's out there um, and, and and try to f pick the best tool for the best for the location. And sorry, the second one, I, one Tam has the the camera set up, <coughs> doesn't? It, and do you get to utilize that as well? And and if uh, you, people haven't seen it, it's a fantastic video. I could sit and watch that all day long. <laughs> Great. Well, we could use your help volunteering and identifying species. So, uh, I knew I stepped into I'm, something um, there. We could set you up with that. Uh, yeah, we call that Marin Wildlife Watch. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and it is uh, generating an incredibly robust data set. It's not an initiative that I'm directly managing. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. It's an incredibly rich data set, and that. Uh, the stewards of that data are working really hard to make it accessible so that we can query the information about wildlife occupancy and use it directly in future studies and in, and to inform land management. Great. Yeah. Thank absolutely. you, Danny. Thank it. you. Appreciate it. Thank you. <clears throat> really very, very interesting and excellent presentation. I just have one final question. How do, um, and I noticed that you have this educational campaign with a one-time um, truck. How do people access or how do people contact you if they want this presentation? Or Please, uh, you know, get my contact information if it's not on that slide deck. I'm always, I'm always happy to be responsive to, to questions. Um, we call that the TAM van. It's our mobile trailhead. Mm -hmm. A lot of people confuse it for a taco truck, yeah. um, but that's how we bring them in off the trail to... <laughs> and learn about the work and, and, and learn about what we're doing. Um, that particular particular picture was from when we had the TAM van staged um, out at Lake Lagunitas for the month of June. Um, we were distributing that self-guided tour that I mentioned in my presentation. We had it available in both English and Spanish, which I'm, which I'm glad that we were able to do. Um, families with kids, you know, adults, curious people, birders, everybody was stopping by the TAM van to kind of figure out what's going on, what's one TAM doing around forests, uh, and they were able to take a, you know, if they wanted to, that self-guided tour brochure with them. So it's part of our community engagement and, and project delivery model, and, and um, I wish we had more of them, frankly, because it's in, it's in hot demand usually. Um, but yeah, that's the TAM van, and um, if, there, if you have more questions about community engagement or the programming of the TAM van, I'm happy to follow up with you directly. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Scar? Oh, that's not uh, just I wanted to comment that you know we're so used to hearing about one Tim that you know I uh, you go to other places where there's analogous you know agencies all over and open space but they're not talking much to each other and uh, you get con consequently you get different policies and different ways and a lot of those times those things can conflict 
but with one TAM, there's a way for all those agencies to communicate, to come up with uh, policies that, uh, you know, healthy forest management policies that uh, are consistent. And um, so it's, it's actually quite a remarkable achievement. Uh, and uh, the fact that it's being sustained in such a great manner uh, is, uh, you know, commendable. Um, and uh, I think the results, the proof is in the pudding, as they say, because you can see the results. Uh, and uh, so it's a great model, no question about it. Thank you. There's no more question. We can move on to item number seven, overview of Duxbury Reef Adjustment Program and the Cleaner California Coast Leave No Trace Initiative. Thanks, Thank commissioners. You. Let's see, who's going first? We doing docents first? Oh yeah. Yes, perfect. Well, and here I'll move, I can scoot over. Um, well, commissioners, this is really exciting, and I feel like the theme today really is partnerships because all of, I think, like all of our items here are highlighting a, a partnership. And um, here, I'll wait till you get this out. The, it's back here. So yeah, uh, partnerships really help us do kind of things that are a little bit of a bigger reach than just you know the regular maintenance and operations that we do, and uh, and this one's a great example. This is the docent program at uh, Agate Beach, which is if you've been out there, it's like the entrance to going out to Duxbury Reef, and so you know in a lot of ways what we manage there is a parking lot and a trailhead, but the resource that is out there is incredible. It's an amazing place and. I'll turn it over to Leslie to describe uh, the work that we do together. Thanks, Mark. Hi, everybody. Thank you for inviting me here. My name is Leslie Adler-Ivanbrook, and I work with the Environmental Action Committee of West Marin. I'm the program director there. And I'm going to tell you about the Duxbury Docent Program, which um, is a partnership program with Marin County Parks and Open Space. We just signed an MOU um, in... September, I think it was, August, September. And um, the partnership also includes local community members and other agencies all together to train volunteer docents to provide visitor education out at Duxbury Reef. Next slide. Oh, there we are. So EAC is a nonprofit environmental advocacy organization, and our mission is to protect the lands, waters, and biodiversity of West Marin. And we do that through advocacy, community education, and engagement. And as the program director there, I manage um, co coastal community science and stewardship programs, including MPA Watch and Duxbury Docents program, and as well as community roadside cleanups like Litter Bugs Me and Coastal Cleanup Day. So, not sure if you're all familiar with Duxbury Reef and Agate Beach. It's, it's pretty much tucks, tucked away there in Bolinas, way out on the coast. Um, but it is, it is the largest shale reef in California and probably in North America. And it's a beautiful destination. It's, it's a real gem in coastal Marin. Um, it's, 
It's formed, uh, the shale was formed between five and 25 million years ago, diatoms from the ocean settling down on, on uh, submerged rock and eventually creating its own rock, the shale, which is a pretty soft rock. And it's in time been uplifted and eroded, so it has created this amazing shelf, which you see there. Um, it's very gently sloping and very broad and flat, and so it provides this habitat for hundreds of species of invertebrates and algae and surf grass and then associated fish and bird life that, that use the reef as well. And it also, because of its gentle slope, is pretty accessible to most people, and so it's really attracted a lot of visitation, um, people that like to come and explore tide pools and use the beach. Um, and But however, the, the visitation has been taking its toll on the reef. And um, next slide, please. Because of this abundant biodiversity um, and the vulnerability of the marine life there at the reef, Duxbury was designated in 2010 as a state marine conservation area. It's one of the one of 124 MPAs, marine protected areas, in the state of California. And because it's a, a state marine conservation area, the, that desig that type of designation allows for some take for some harvest or removal. And here, specifically at Duxbury Reef, what's allowed is fin fishing from shore with a hook and line and abalone collecting when it's in season and complying with CDFW rules. And currently, abalone fishery is closed at least until 2026. So here we've got this marine protected area and, and a whole network of them up and down the coast. So how do we track the health of, of the reef and how do we understand how people are complying with those regulations? Well, scientific monitoring studies um, and MPA Watch is one of them. It's a community science program that tracks what people do. So this is kind of related to your question about the impact of visitation in, um, in forested areas. But here, on coastal areas, we have MPA Watch, which specifically tracks how people use uh, the marine protected area, whether they're fishing or recreating or surfing or collecting. Um, and that information gets uploaded into a statewide database and um, then that's used by program managers and community organizations to manage these places going forward. And EAC manages Marin MPA Watch, which includes Duxbury Reef Agate Be at Agate Beach as one of our monitoring sites. So at the next, next slide, please. Um, so at actually next one, I think I was off here. Yeah. So um, the MPA Watch program has documented a, an increase in visitation since about 2017 by about 70%. Uh, and what you could see here on this graph, the um, all recreational activity basically is a, a measure of visitation. And you can see that Duxbury Reef, of all the sites that we monitor, has vastly higher 
visitation rate than the other places. And um, that, in combination with the fact that Duxbury Reef is the s has the smallest area and has very highly sensitive intertidal habitat, you can imagine that really puts uh, the marine life at risk there. Um, and not only is the visitation high, but the, um, the level of, of potential violations, we call them, um, they're documented observed violations, is even higher relative to the other locations. And that's, you can see in red um, on that table, people are coming to Duxbury Reef to collect. Um, and it's not only collection though, it's people not understanding that it is a marine protected area and that even just to pick up an organism or, um, or to handle it is considered take. And that does have an impact on the marine life. Lots of people will come with like buckets, especially families with kids and they'll, um, they'll wanna collect and then their intent is to put it back and often it's, they're not putting it back in the same tide pool and that could be really disruptive and a shock to those organisms and lead to um, mortality. So noticing this increase in visitation, um, it became clear to us that a docent-led visitor education program could really benefit the reef and the marine. And so in 2022, uh, we launched the docent program with uh, mentorship from Friends of Fitzgerald Marine Reserve docent program, which was really wonderful. And the goal of the program is to encourage responsible visitation and to educate visitors about how, about the marine ecology, about um, MPAs, and how they can visit the reef without, um, without putting undue stress on the marine life there. So we trained two cohorts of, of volunteers in 2022 and 2023, and most of them are local from Bolinas, Stinson, um, Point Reyes area. And then um, our second cohort, we drew from a little bit of a wider area in the Bay Area. And it's a five day plus training. It's instructed by local marine ecology and MPA experts with also presentations by um, agency staff that have roles at Agate Beach, Duxbury Reef, and the surrounding area. And um, we also included a presentation by an elder from the Coast Miwok Tribal Council to share their cultural <coughs> uh, connection and um, values and related to the Marin Coast and Duxbury Reef, and that was very impactful as well. Next slide, please. So um, in the training, we cover rocky intertidal zonation, reef ecology, as I said, tide pool etiquette, but we also focus on docenting skills and program expectations, California MPAs and MPA watch. Um, we really emphasize to the docents that they are there to educate and not enforce. So they don't think of themselves as enforcement staffs. They're not, they're not supposed to um, chide anybody for doing the wrong thing or um, ask for their driver's license or anything like that. They're really there to educate. And we, we, um, we go over that numerous times during, during the, the training and after as well. Um, 
and really just to approach visitors with a really positive attitude, very welcoming, and introduce themselves and ask how they can be helpful. So we, you can see the names of the instructors here that we've um, partnered with. Kathy Ann Miller is from UC Berkeley. She's an algae expert. And Joe Mueller is from College Marin. And Rebecca Johnson from Cal Academy. Kent Katikian, he's a local volunteer expert and um, really like self-taught expert at Duxbury Reef and is out there every day. And he was actually one of the people that inspired this program and helped launch it from the beginning. And then I help educate them as well. And um, after they, they complete the training, they're, they are eligible to go out and take shifts and sign up. And we provide ongoing support for the docents, including they get mentoring post-training from Kent. Um, and they were supplied with a comprehensive training manual, quick ID chart that they could use out in the field, published field guides, docent uniform, MPA brochures, data sheets, all the resources they need. And they have an online shift calendar where they could sign up for the shifts and coordinate with each other through uh, group, group uh, email. And um, each docent, when they take a shift, is, is required to complete a shift report and an MPA watch survey so that we continue to get data on how many people they've engaged with, how many violations they've observed, um, and more specifics about their engagement with people, whether it's positive or negative, they, we ask them to describe a little bit about their day so that we can get some feedback and get a picture of what's going on out there. And that's really been very helpful. Uh, next slide, please. So um, overall, the docents do report that the vast majority of their interactions are positive and that people that they engage with really want to learn about the marine life there, but also learn about MPAs and how they can help protect the reef when they're exploring um, throughout the tide pools. And um, so you can see here some of our program stats as of August. This would be we've trained 21 volunteers. We have an 81% retention rate. Um, they submitted 150 shift reports. and engage with over 1,600 people, which is pretty great in a year and a half, I think. Um, 70, they've observed or, and redirected 75, at least, violations of the MPA regulations and interacted and engaged with at least 25 larger groups. So next slide is just, um, uh, next slide, please, is just a few quotes that we gleaned from our shift reports and we get lots of, of um, feedback like this that you know people are just very thankful. You can see in one of these there's a couple and, and we've heard this from numerous people that they've indicated that in the last 10 years or so, last few years, they've noticed a change in the marine life and loss of some, of some species there over the past years and so Clearly, the, the reef is in need of help and um, people in need of, of education opportunity. And so uh, next steps that we're embarking on, that we're currently taking, um, we, we realize that 
that docents aren't enough. Good signage in combination with docents is really how to reach people most effectively. And so um, we are developing a series of informative temporary signs, which we hope to get. They're like lawn signs, you know, like election signs that you could just plant in the, in the grass. Um, and we, we hope to finalize those, finalize those soon. And they're, they're really just very graphically rich and text light so that people can just walk by them and understand the point really quickly. And they would be placed just going down the pathway on the grass there on the side of the path. So we're working with Marin County Parks to hopefully install a storage shed there so that we can store the signs so that docents can take them out, plant them in the grass during their shift, and then remove them again after the shift and have them safely stored there in addition to other docent resources and obviously parks um, resources as well. Um, so we're also working to um, coordinate with parks to help uh, referrals for large groups that need permits and that might want to request some docent services. Um, we are in the process of, of putting together a program operations manual and establishing an advisory committee. And um, we've also got funding from Measure A funds to conduct field trips out there. So we've done a couple of, well, before the pandemic, we were doing them regu regularly. And then we started up again last spring with a couple of field trips. And um, we'll continue this coming spring so that we engage youth um, students in the, the amazing sea life out there and how they can help protect it as well. And um, yeah, so the, bu the public can get engaged in, in various ways. They can volunteer or just visit the reef and engage with our docents. And um, groups can sign up for a tour. And then, you know, if people really want to help support but can't do any of these things and they want to donate, we have a way for them to donate to EAC to earmark it for the program as well to help run it. And yeah, that's 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 about it for the slide presentation, and I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have. Questions or comments from the public, the chamber? Oh, sorry. Oscar, we might want to wait till the end of both presentations ah. for public comment, but your your commission's welcome to ask questions now for for this one. Questions? Um, yes, thank you. Uh, commendable on the uh, docent program. Um, I, uh, yeah, I think that's fantastic. Uh, I, I didn't, I know you mentioned the names of docents, so approximately how many docents are active at this time? Or? So um, we have about 19, 18 or 19 active docents. Oh, that's pretty impressive. Uh, and then the school, you into indicated groups come out for education, so I would assume that some school groups are? Yes. Yeah, we, we have basically from Marin County. Yeah, groups and so with Measure A, so that's more of a, uh, a reach out to other groups that may not normally visit? Exactly, yeah. So we, we try to, in our outreach, we target um, schools that have a strong percentage of communities from underserved communities and, um, yeah. 
yeah, so that we, we one of the to... purposes of Measure A. So it's great to see that kind of partnership. Mm -hmm. um, also, uh, um, so have have you noticed like when docents kind of explain some of the issues to people that may be just unaware? Um, have you noticed any kind of measurable change in behavior based on that or? With the docents, yeah, that's a really, really good question because I'd love to measure that impact over time. That's really hard, but anecdotally and just sort of qualitatively, they notice that people are very thankful and that they will shift their behavior. Not always, you know, I have to admit, sure. there are some people that just have it in their mind to go there and collect snails. And they're going to just say, okay, thank you, and walk away, and then they'll go and do what they want to do another time and docents can't be watching them 24 and 7 so um, but they do notice that people do shift their behavior for example I've um, heard docents talk about um, when there's a family what they do is they try to approach the parents first right rather than talking to the kids and then hope that the parents relay that information to the kids and they do and they'll explain you know like oh these are like you know, this is this is the house for these these snails or these these hermit crabs, and we want to let them stay in their house, and they'll the kids will put the the um, creatures back or um, refrain from picking them up and behave more conscientiously. And that's the same thing in some school groups. Like we we do some field trips, but there are a lot of school groups that go out there that are not directly connected with us. And so when docents speak to teachers and chaperones about that, they do notice um, a change and notice that um, students will be generally receptive to what they have to say and what they have to teach them about. So yeah, I think, um, I think there that it does have an impact. And the feeling from the docents is that it's having an impact, but we haven't really, um, we, we, we don't have data on that yet. Um, you know, what you remember that, that table on the potential violations, that was um, a recent data set, and I think that was from 2021, and then 2022 actually had more vi potential violations, but we also had a lot more surveys happening, because we had, a, we got a bigger team. Um, so, um, you know, we'll have to wait a few years for all of that to shake out to see if there's a measurable decrease. And then with um, an improvement in the signage and um, perhaps more tabling and more docents eventually, um, then that will have an even greater impact. And it's been shown to have an impact in other tide pool locations. Thank you. Any other comments? I, I just had one kind of, just for clarification. So who is the managing agency of that area? Is that like NOAA or National National Park or National Recreation Area? What? Interesting, yes. Yeah. So it's pretty complicated actually. So Marin County Parks, as Max explained, you, you have the, um, the, dirt. Ducks, the, the the parking lot and the okay. trail, Okay. Um, but not the reef. Okay. The reef is covered by the Greater Farallones National Marine Sanctuary. Okay. 
but their regulations are not as strict as the MPA regulations. So it's CDFW that manages the Marine Protected Area Network, and they um, hold the cards for enforcement of MPA um, regulations there. However, they're, they're challenged to get um, wardens out there. <laughs> and to have enough of them to have some coverage. Do you, do you have issues with enforcement? Do you feel like that's uh, something that would improve the circumstances from takes and things like that? Yes, I do. I think that having more of an enforcement presence there, even if somebody just with a uniform, I think mm -hmm. does have an effect on people's behavior. Um, and, you know, I, I still do believe that Education is the way, the best way to do it, but I think, you know, you have to tackle it from many different approaches, and I think enforcement is a piece of it that does help. And so it sounds like there's a lot of different kind of agency overlaps and things butt up, so how do you manage that to make that more effective? So, and then I forgot to mention also the Point Reyes National Seashore uh -huh. manages part of it um, after... Which street is that? Elm? No. <laughs> yeah, going north anyway. <laughs> so that's where um, our dirt stops and, and their dirt starts or? Uh, well. And the water part is? The, the, so yeah, the water part is the CDFW and the MPA network. Agate County Park doesn't have any jurisdiction over the actual beach and sand and intertidal area. Um, seashore does, but that's on the northern part. Greater Farallones does to some extent, but they're, like I said, their regulations aren't as strong and they don't, they don't actually regulate take in the same way. Um, and am I forgetting? I, I just like offer in, you know, I think this is, this partnership is like incrementally improving the circumstance from where it was before. I mean, I think there's been engagement there and and EAC's been active there for a while with the mm -hmm. MPA Watch and and this partnership and the more that we're formalizing it, you know, I think, and I don't even know what the status is on us making that a condition of folks getting a permit to be connected with a, um, if that's like activated or not yet. That's, yes, it is? Okay, great. Our, our vision for this program, which sounds like is just sort of getting to the point of actually activating it, is that so there's folks that come out through EAC to visit the, you know, connect ahead of time to visit the reef. Also, like school groups, like elementary school groups, but also college groups, other organized groups that want to come visit the reef, they have to get a permit from us to park their van or bus or whatever in, their, in our parking lot to visit the reef. And so part of our vision was that if a group like that comes, then we connect them with the docent because we know that a lot of the issues out there aren't happening all the time. They're happening when there's like a really a minus tide, right? When it's like really good conditions to visit the reef and that these bigger groups can have a substantial impact. And so that's really this targeted opportunity to connect the docent program with the folks that are coming out to get a permit still not perfect there's still a lot of room for improvement but i feel like that's kind of this cool opportunity is to make 
be adaptive and make those incremental improvements to keep getting things better. It's, it sounds like there's no, who is there a managing agency that oversees all this, or you really have like four different masters, so to speak? That I mean, you, who who gives you directions? I mean, there, we we definitely don't manage all of that. Like we're uh, we're the nonprofit right, that is right. managing the DOSIN program and coordinating uh -huh. with all these agencies, and certainly, you know, bringing them bringing representatives together um, in this respect, um, but also um, another uh, platform for that will be the advisory committee, and we will be inviting um, agency representatives there. So that will be another way for them to connect and share with each other about what happens at Duxbury Reef. But yeah, I don't think there's, there's, there's no one person agency that is sort of the umbrella for our all of this uh, for all these things for one tam for this partnership for the cleaner california coast there's no one person in charge there's nobody telling us what to do it's just a bunch of organizations and agencies trying to do the right thing together uh -huh. i think that's what makes it cool no but it sounds like yeah. it's there is collaboration that you guys yes. talk about it yeah. and yeah. there's respect with each other yeah. it's not like a power trip from one agency now we're only gonna let you do this or but yeah. some seems like sometimes you want to have one managing oversight or something like that who's who's seeing overseeing this but uh, well, I'm, I'm well, new to this program so. let me just add a, a couple observations uh, okay. in response to that based on the experience I've had doing uh, federal wildlife law enforcement work over the years when you have um, parks or any kind of recreation space where you have uh, contiguous lands all of whom have a little piece. Uh, Santa Monica Mountains is a great example. GGNRA, uh, my former boss used to laugh. He'd get a call from the rangers. We found a dead body. <clears throat> he would say, what side of the road is it on? So he would know who you had to call who had right. jurisdiction. And it, it's not that you have a lot of agencies trying to compete uh, to lead, but they have very significant limitations on their law enforcement authority. <clears throat> most of which is based on the physical location. So it becomes really tricky. You know, that goes back to what side of the street did you find the dead body right. on in terms of not only where do I have law enforcement authority, but where can I spend any kind of funds because that also is going to be governed by what the physical location is. So there are some devices in federal and state and local law that <clears throat> allow for memorandum of agreements between the agencies where you can pick a lead. Okay. But it gets a little tricky again in practice because at the end of the day, <clears throat> all of these agencies are terribly understaffed. So it's fine and well to say, I'll pick on California Department of Fish and Wildlife, they're the lead enforcement agency. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. NOAA, I'm sure say Yahoo, because last time I checked, NOAA had two law enforcement guys for the entire West Coast. Mm. That's a lot of ground to cover. Yeah. So you, it's fine and well to say CDFW. I keep wanting to call them fish and game. Fish and game <laughs> yeah, has the lead, yeah. but they are terribly understaffed sure. and underfunded also. So yeah. I just back to, you know, what you you said about taking the lead as education. I think that's fantastic because you're leveraging local folks with a very local interest, which means there's a passion there as well as accessibility. And education's wonderful. It would be great as you build on the program if you could get 
a few uniforms out there from time to time. Again, speaking from prior experience doing wildlife enforcement, it's fine and well to educate, but somehow seeing a badge and a gun is kind of sobering too. So uh, as you build on it, it'd be great if you could just as an outreach program get some of these cooperating agencies to just rotate a warden through every once in a while. Yeah, um, but thank you for your work. I think this is this wonderful, wonderful program. Thank you, and thank you for clarifying that too. Um, I think, uh, yeah, and I agree. It would be great once in a while to have a CDFW warden out there. And right now, they don't really have one on staff. They hope to fill it soon. Um, and then that region is huge for that one person. So. It's a little challenging, so we kind of recognize that for the foreseeable future, we're kind of on our own, but, but people can't, um, and the docents know this, but that you can call in issues like observe violations to CalTIPS, that goes to CDFW, and at least then you're recording the information directly with them, and then it also comes through in our MPA watch often you know, they might see something that's not, that doesn't occur during their survey time. So um, that's, that's a mechanism, and I think it just helps let CDFW know that there's a need, and so to keep it on their radar that more staff would be helpful. So, yeah, but I think the partnership is really, really wonderful, and um, I'm can, can I really ask grateful one more it. question? From, from your perspective as you're getting this program up and operating, is there something um, that this commission could assist with in terms of making observations to the County Board of Supervisors or to staff that it would be really helpful to do X, Y, or Z? I mean, I'm guessing money and time is always, you know, in the top of everybody's list, but are there any concrete things that you would like the commission to take a look at and to consider and come back with recommendations on? That's a good question. Um, yeah, money and time. <laughs> but I, yeah, I can't, you know, I have to like think about that in terms of what, what you can do. Um, do you have, do you have an action item for us? Sorry, do you have an action item for us annually no, on this program? No, this is an information item today. And I, but at other times, do you, you don't? We don't typically. I mean, you know, um, components of it may be a part of our budget at times. But, um, I mean, A, we can always come back with updates. B, yeah. we can, I, I'll follow up with Leslie, and we can just stay in touch. And if there's something that she thinks of or we think of together that might be helpful, we'll get back in touch with you all as commissioners. And Carolyn, if you're especially interested in it and want to be connected, we can keep you connected with Leslie and the team. And, um, like, you know, I mean, for one, just having your commission engaged with this is really helpful. You know, we brought it to our board, but it was, I think, was it on consent? I can't remember. It was like, we, yeah, it was on consent. So it's like the amount of time we have at the board is like zero for <laughs> describing these things. So it's just, even just being able to talk through this is, is really, really helpful. And then let's keep thinking. I, you know, I have to just say too that, like I said, no one's making us do this, but this would never happen without EAC and Leslie 
and I just have to give kudos to Morgan back there who was the uh, executive director for EAC and now is aide to Supervisor Radoni, but this really only came about because the leadership of, of the EAC team, so. No, it's, it's a labor of love, and that's why I wanted to ask again if there's some concrete things that we can do to assist, if even it's some suggestions about more outreach, because the more visibility you have, the more that it will improve your chances in terms of not only volunteers, but also donations. And so all of that you know, fits together, I think, very nicely with the other presentation you're going to be making on Ring Mountain. It's, uh, it's uh, quite incredible to look at what a little bit of education can help do. So thank you again. Yeah, thank you. Yes, and I, I do think that, you know, it's a new program, so I think that outreach and, and spreading the word about it is really important. It's kind of like a fine line. We don't want tons more people going to Duxbury Reef necessarily, but we want people to know that that resource is there and, that, and what it's intended to do and have that information be shared that there is a way to be on the reef with you know, minimizing damage to it and to the marine life there. And there are people, amazing, dedicated, the docents are awesome people. I am so grateful for that team that, that are there that are helping to educate visitors. And um, so, yeah, um, at least that for now would be wonderful. Um, so you have the printed information, the trifold on that program and um, and yeah I think we can get back in touch and I would love to keep in touch with you as well so thank you, thank you. Thank you. so uh, next up we have another partnership with uh, uh, EAC and uh, Madeline's gonna come speak about this this is actually a, uh, um, a, a broad project that we've been engaged with that's not even just specific to parks or Marin County Parks or Marin, it's really sort of the north uh, coast, Mendocino, Sonoma, and Marin Coast, and thinking about started with the COVID uh, pandemic and increased visitation to the coast, and similarly thinking about visitor impacts and how we could reduce visitor impacts. So I'll turn it over to Madeline. Thank you. Um, been so uh, wonderful just to hear the conversations that are leading up to this moment to provide this information. Um, it does feel like there's a lot of shared leadership models out there and there's a lot of coordinated work going into um, learning how to take care of our coastal California. Um, so the Cleaner California Coast is, so my name is Madeline Nieto-Hope and I am the project coordinator for the Cleaner California Coast Initiative. Um, the Cleaner California Coast Initiative is a leave no trace uh, initiative formed to empower people to create a cleaner and healthier coastal Marin, Sonoma, and Mendocino counties by practicing leave no trace. Leave no trace is an organization and set of principles that aim to promote responsible outdoor ethics and minimize human impacts on natural environments. Environmental Action Committee of West Marin manages the initiative with a dedicated working group that is made up of stakeholders from Marin, Sonoma, and Mendocino counties. Um, to Cleaner California Coast, in partnership with Leave No Trace, 
promotes sustainable outdoor practices, environmental awareness and education, encourages reducing waste and meaningful consumption education, and collaborative conservation efforts. Together we are positioned to lead with others within the outdoor and environmental communities. Next slide, please. Um, so what has kind of brought us to where we are to have a Cleaner California Coast initiative, why and how? Um, the California coastal beaches and public parks are experiencing rises in visitation year over year as important outlets for mental and physical health. Over 10 million people annually visit the California coastline and adjacent communities across Marin, Sonoma, and Mendocino counties. In 2021 alone, over 55,000 pounds of trash were picked up from sensitive coastal environments across the three counties. And this is data from the California, the coastal cleanup with the California Coastal Commission. In June 2022, three counties, the three counties launched a coordinated initiative with Leave No Trace to reduce litter and waste in coastal regions and watersheds. The partnership included coordination with federal and state agencies, tribes, local jurisdictions, and community-based groups across the three counties. And the, um, the groups also were the visitor-serving visitor organizations, so Visit Mendocino, the Marin um, Visitor Bureau, and um, the Sonoma County Tourism were working with the um, other, working within this working group. Um, the initiative serves as a, um, let's see, uh, the partnership included coordination and then the initiative developed a bilingual Leave No Trace coastal visitation messaging and a five-year strategic framework. Um, it, the initiative serves as a central hub for local county activities aimed at safeguarding coastal environments and communities. And um, the Cleaner California Coast Initiative was launched in July 2023. Um, the initiative aims to reduce coastal pollution by minimizing litter. It focuses on a coordinated messaging campaign involving community and visitor outreach, education, and awareness. The initiative is targeted towards the coastline of California, specifically the three counties uh, we've mentioned and the campaign promotes the adoption of Leave No Trace principles to empower individuals and communities to create a cleaner California coast. Um, next si slide, please. Oh, so um, the Cleaner California Coast Initiative promotes a cleaner and healthier environment by advocating and advancing easy and accessible practices for everyone to follow, specifically fo focusing on four Leave No Trace principles. The initiative's website, cleanercoast.org, serves as a central platform for coastal-specific practices and collaborates with existing programs, services, and efforts of local organizations within Marin, Sonoma, and Mendocino County. The first principle is um, bring fewer single-use items with you to reduce litter along the coastline. Repacking foods or liquids into reusable containers is a great way to achieve this. Be prepared to carry out your trash. Even if it's wet or smelly, 
as not all areas along the coast have trash cans. Bring along an easy to carry bag and pack out all of your trash until you find an available trash recycling or compost bin. Know before you throw. In the three counties, trash recycling and compost cans can, can look and look different and the labeling can be different and the colors can be different across all three counties. Look for labels and read the signage to properly dispose of your waste. Um, so number two, trash your trash. Um, pack it in, pack it out. Uh, to protect wildlife and the coastal environment, pack out everything you bring with you, including your trash. Consider picking up other litter as well, leaving the place better than you found it. If a can is full, pack it, don't stack it. Avoid contributing to litter and overflowing trash cans by not adding to the problem. Take the trash with you until you can properly dispose of it, preferably at home. Protect wildlife by packing out all the fishing lines and hooks. Discarded fishing lines and hooks pose a threat to birds and other aquatic animals. To prevent unnecessary harm, ensure you pack out all of the fishing equipment. Next slide, please. Uh, what to do with poop. Uh, when you see a restroom, use a restroom. This is very specific to West Marin. If you see a restroom, use a restroom because there's not restrooms across the whole geographic area. To avoid contaminating the outdoors because you cannot find a restroom, it is crucial to use proper restroom facilities. Going to the bathroom on the beach, roadside, or trail can lead to unsanitary conditions and potential area closures. Have a plan for diaper disposal. If you have a baby or an elder in diapers, carry the used diaper to the nearest available trash can. Human waste, including disposable diapers, can take up to 450 years to decompose and pollutes the environment. Dispose of pet waste responsibly. Pick up pet waste and dispose of it in a trash can. Unlike waste from wildlife or grazing animals, pet waste contains harmful bacteria that can pollute the natural environment and potentially cause illness. Next slide. Um, be considerate of coastal communities. Help reduce the trash burden in local towns by taking your trash with you if the cans in the parks are overflowing. Waste services in these communities may not be equipped to handle the excess trash, recycling, and compost from visitors passing through town. Use available restrooms when possible as some coastal towns and rural areas may not have readily accessible restrooms. Being considerate of the limited restroom facilities helps maintain cleanliness in the area. Hang on to your butts. Cigarette butts are toxic litter. Please do not dispose of them in proper places Please dispose of them in proper places and avoid leaving them on the beach or roadside. So the Cleaner California Coast, I think we um, provided a, a couple of strategic frameworks up there for you to review, and you may have already seen that document. But the Cleaner California Coast strategic framework developed with stakeholders and agencies from across the three counties has four imperatives with the three to five short term and long-term outcomes. The first imperative is reducing impacts on natural resources and coastal communities. Um, and from trash and litter, uh, 
from trash and litter to water contamination and human waste, reducing recreation and visitation related impacts to coastal areas is a primary effect of this education initiative. The second one is um, consistent messaging shared by co a coalition of stakeholders, businesses, and communities. Uh, while coastal areas and communities may face unique impact challenges, consistent and frequent leave no trace messaging will help keep people engaged in their role to support a cleaner California coast. Um, reach people with leave no trace messaging. Uh, the arc of the visitor experience provides innumerable opportunities to get messaging in front of people who desire to spend time outdoors and in communities across the three counties. And the last imperative is cleaner California coast is a leading popular voice for promoting responsible visitation. Um, the 24-hour content cycle provides both challenges and opportunities to reach visitors. The initiative will succeed if consumers believe the initiative to be a leading and welcoming voice for promoting responsible recreation and visitation. These imperatives will guide the initiative and our stakeholders towards success and engagement over the next three to five years. So we invite you to join us. We are grateful for the support from Marin County Parks and Open Space being one of the key partners that is at the table um, uh, with this working group and helping to make it happen. Um, and if you want to be more involved, you can uh, reach out to Environmental Action Committee of West Marin and we can um, in get you more involved if you want that um, or anybody who's um, listening to this presentation. And um, let's see, stewardship and sustainability, utilizing the digital first approaches, key collaborate collaborators across the vast geography can work collaboratively to leverage this approach to reach more prospective visitors. Effective and inclusive leave no trace messaging will allow the cleaner California coast message to be delivered using strategies that ensure the messaging reaches the wider audience. And last slide, um, visit cleaner California coast to learn more about our goals, follow us on social media, um, Cleaner California Coast has been showing up to local events to promote the leave no trace principles in coastal communities. Um, and we've created some rack cards that I think was also in your packet. And um, those uh, that gives you a sort of a direct uh, link right to the website. And we're just interested in collaboration across these three counties to build this awareness around um, how to work together and lift up the existing programs um, that are in place with the county parks and with the state parks and the nonprofits and the visitor serving organizations to really align our efforts and work together to reduce litter. So that's the presentation. Thank you. And I'm happy to take any questions if you have any. Comments or questions from commissioners? Uh, remarkable work, and uh, that's quite a geographic area to cover. So, yes, uh, great to have that kind of an, a positive impact on the uh, visitors. Uh, visitors are going to come because it's 
one of the most attractive places on earth. So, um, you know, the more education uh, that you can do, the better. Uh, much appreciated. Yeah, thank you. And we're working with Sonoma County Tourism, who has the um, current licensing agreement with Leave No Trace. And it was really Supervisor Rodoni, who was the um, individual who really initiated um, the partnership with Sonoma County. And it, between Sonoma County and Marin County kind of talking about this, they decided to kind of include the county north of Sonoma County. And so we feel very encouraged by the, um, the cohesion that is building and the focus that we have in the coastal zone along that Highway 1 corridor. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Comments or questions from public in chamber? Online? There are no hands raised. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. Next item is another informational item, the Wildflower Dozen Program at Ring Mountain Open Space Preserve. Thank you. Well, this is just so cool. I don't think we planned it this way, but it really is like um, a, a menu of different cool partnerships. And um, apologies, or maybe it's a bonus that Pat and uh, Michael both get to hear this a second time because we presented it to the Oversight Committee as well. But um, I wanted to introduce Amanda, who's our Ring Mountain steward. And one thing that's really special about Ring Mountain is that it was originally purchased by the Nature Conservancy, and they still give us funding to help with the ongoing stewardship of that site and extra support. And it's, it's like, a, I mean, I think all of our parks and preserves are special, but it's like, it's kind of extra special. So. Um, Anyway, I'll turn it over to Amanda to uh, present about this program. Thanks, Max. Um, thank you so much for um, this opportunity to present on this new docent program. And I, I am marveling at the serendipity that I get to go in this after all these wonderful presentations because it really relates to a lot of the other topics covered today. Um, uh, next slide, please. So I'm going to do a little quick refresher on Ring Mountain. Um, so Ring Mountain is one of our preserves down on the Tiburon Peninsula. Um, it's highlighted in yellow on the map. Um, it's about 370 acres, mostly hill, grassy hilltops. Um, if you can imagine, that, um, and you'll see some pictures later if, if you haven't been down there recently, the views are pretty marvelous. Next slide, please. So I often say Ring Mountain is like nowhere else. Um, and that's for a few different factors. Um, next slide. Um, in part, it's the serpentine geology found there. So this is um, geology that is high in heavy metals, low in nutrients. And so all these rocks then weather to soil. Um, it also has a intact native grasslands. Um, both of these different habitat Habitat types are really rare. Probably only about 1% of California has both of these. So if you can imagine then you have your Venn diagram, you've got a little sliver in the middle, that's Ring Mountain. So it really is astonishingly rare and special. It's also geographically isolated. It's almost an island surrounded by water on three sides. Um, it's also on a hilltop, so there's not a lot of uh, flow down to the kind of valley areas. Um, that has allowed a rare endemic species to evolve and we'll get to that in a minute, but um, let it build a little anticipation. You may know the species I'm talking about already. Next slide. 
So it's also a biodiversity hotspot. Um, it is home to over 300 plant species, over 45 bird species um, either live there or come through, um, hundreds of insects. That's a California ringlet sitting on uh, a native calistigia or a morning glory. Um, grasslands are known for butterfly hotspots. So if you're there in a warm day um, in spring or summer, you're going to see a lot of little fluttering wings. Um, it's also home to seven rare species. The most famous is the Tiburon mariposa lily. But this is actually a lesser, um, not as popular species. It's the Tiburon paintbrush, but also probably our rarest species. It's, it's endangered species. Um, it is also, Ring Mountain is also um, a part of the ancestral lands of the Coast Miwok, who are, have been here since time immemorial. Next slide. Um, and as an open space, it is a place that people come to connect to nature. Um, it's a place where people come to recreate, to walk their dog, um, and get those great views. But a lot of uh, visitors might not know about these connections, may not know, be aware of the rare species. Um, uh, next slide. Uh, but this uniqueness of the preserve has been noted a, a while back. So this is a great photo um, from, I think, the early 80s. Um, that's Phyllis Elman on the left. She is one of the local environmentalists and botanists who help um, protect and save Ring Mountain from development. So homes were almost put up on to what is now the preserve. Um, and she really helps um, organize the local community of environmentalists and neighbors um, to get the Nature Conservancy involved to purchase the property. Um, and they really depended on one plant in particular to help uh, become a symbol for this conservation effort. Next slide. And it was this one, this really unusual looking plant. It's called the Tiburon mariposa lily. It's a type of calicordis. Um, it's very special because it's only found at Ring Mountain. And Ring Mountain's, right, I said that 370 um, acres. This is even found on a smaller portion of that. Um, it is not this big in real life. It's actually closer to the size of a golf ball, probably a little smaller than that, the, the bloom. And it's really, really hard to find. Um, it was so hard to find that it wasn't until the 1970s where it was, early 1970s, it was described botanically, which is really late in terms of a lot of the species we, um, that are known in Marin. Um, but it was the symbol for Ring Mountain. It's unusual. It's only found there. It's a little bit weird looking. Um, and so it was, it was really perfect. Um, so this was kind of what has been a symbol for Ring Mountain and its conservation for a long time. Next slide. Um, and so the Nature Conservancy, as Max mentioned, it has been really monumental in protecting this place. They, um, like Phyllis Elman, recognize the ecological and cultural significance. And so they purchased the property between 1981 to 1984. So it's had its probably its 40th birthday as a preserve. Um, so it's it's a long time, and it, and that's thanks to everyone's efforts. Um, uh, next slide. And so uh, we. Uh, this is one of those pictures from the early 80s. Um, and so this was so the land transitioned to a Marin County open space in around 1996, but the parks <laughs> the Na Nature Conservancy, excuse me, still has an easement over the land that helps us give it a little extra protection. And like Max was mentioning, they do give us, administer us a grant 
um, that really helps leverage those Measure A funds. And then this program probably wouldn't be possible, nor would my job, <laughs> without those funds. Um, so it's really a, a meeting collaboration um, in all the best senses. Next slide. Um, so this almost looks like it could have been taken, you know, 20, 30 years ago, but um, Nature Conservancy and Marin County Parks still do a lot of the same activities. Um, so Shannon, this is a picture of Shannon Burke leading a nature hike at Ring Mountain. Um, this is probably from one of her springtime wildflower hikes. Uh, next slide. Um, this is Greg Rees, our open space volunteer coordinator, leading a volunteer restoration day out on the preserve. Um, so we have a lot of opportunities for drop-in volunteers or uh, guided tours with our staff, but we have been looking for an opportunity to kind of expand what we do at Ring Mountain and strengthen our conservation efforts. Next slide. So we really took inspiration from our other docent programs. Um, docent programs have a lot of uh, common themes, oftentimes about raising awareness, and that's what we wanted to do here too. Uh, so next slide. So Ring Mountain has phenomenal biodiversity and in springtime, fantastic wildflower displays. Um, it is home to species that are used to wind, sun, fog, um, all the great elements in the Bay Area, um, all perched on top of a hill with really difficult living conditions and, and poor soils. And they can hang out there. They can thrive there, but they're not highly adapted to the impacts of direct indirect recreation. So they cannot stand up against heavily tra trampling. Um, they can't, um, they're not highly adapted to a lot of nitrogen deposition that comes with not cleaning up after pets and things like that. Um, so we're using wildflowers again um, at Ring Mountain as a lens to learn about the landscape, but also share how people can steward the landscape better. So next slide. Um, so I've been really fortunate to work with the Marin chapter of CMPS, the California Native Plant Society. And if you notice, their logo is actually the Marin um, Tiburon, or sorry, the Tiburon Mariposa Lily. Um, that is, it really indeed is a special plant, a special plant to that chapter as well. Um, so this is a photo from one of our field trips um, this last spring. And you can see that the, it was a phenomenal year. The whole hillsides were covered with flowers. Next slide. So our program goal is to foster appreciation and stewardship of Ring Mountain um, and its unique ecology by sharing knowledge about the wildflowers that grow there. Um, we're in it for the long game. We want to help um, visitors build their appreciation um, for the place as well as you know, what tips they could take away about how to, to view wildflowers and steward them. But we also are really happy if docents are out there just saying hi and being a friendly face to people who come by and help building that community. Next slide. Um, so docents build that community and help educate visitors and passerbys. Um, they get to sit or rove near wildflower hotspots, um, which I think sounds like a lot of fun. Um, they also lead by example and educate about leave no trace principles. Um, and our Leave No Trace principles we've been using have been kind of adapted by all the Leave No Trace principles out there, um, including um, there is an agency that ha is called Leave No Trace too, and, and we've, we've borrowed from them in the past. Um, but I also like to call these um, principles our wildflower, good wildflower etiquette too, so things like looking at um, wildflowers from the trails, 
or fire it so we don't accidentally trample the flowers in the process of, of observing and enjoying them. It's one of my favorites, um, leave no trace principles. Um, so in addition to talking to visitors, uh, showing visitors how to respect um, the wildflower displays, docents are also collecting data as well. Next slide. Um, and so to prepare the the docents for this interaction between wildflowers and our visitors, uh, we do have a, a pretty robust training, and it's one we're continuing to develop. Next slide. So it's focused on these three areas, biodiversity, serpentine grasslands, and stewardship. So we have four virtual trainings um, that our docents participate in, um, and they have to attend at least one or more field trips. So before they actually even take their first shift, they've had nine hours of training. And our CMPS partners are really, really critical to this. Um, they're the ones that put, host most of the trainings. Um, they use all their expertise of having been at Ring Mountain and other places um, to, to really bring um, another level of knowledge to our docents. And we're also fortunate a lot of our docents are also already CMPS members, so they already have a love of wildflowers, and now they just want to um, share that with the public. Next slide. Um, so this is one of the, um, so these are some of the many species you might find out at Ring Mountain. Um, and I kind of want to put this in here, not only because it's an opportunity to look at pretty plants, but um, our, to remind me both that our docents are, um, we don't give them a script. They come with their own skills. They use the tools we gave them to kind of treat every interaction with a visitor. Um, and they get to develop conversations about the habitat and um, how to steward it. And we try to prepare them best for those. And so I really think um, our docents are some of our uh, our linchpins to this program. They bring so much to it. Um, next slide. Um, so we this year was our first year doing this. We had 20 docents who graduated from the program, 14 docents were actively volunteering through the flowering season, um, and over 153 volunteer hours were, were spent on the preserve, so it's probably actually a little bit higher. Um, and docents interacted with over 700 visitors between April and June. Our program only runs April through June on the weekends, so it's pretty amazing they were able to interact with that many people, um, and, and again, that might be a little um, a, a low estimation. Next slide. Um, so th they collected data um, on common questions, and this is to help inform um, the development of this program, but also if there was any other management um, solutions we could address. Um, they collected common questions for this reason, too. Um, the most popular is what plant is this? A lot of people came up with their phones and pictures on them and saying, do you know this plant? Um, and everyone's trying to look at um, and, and figure it out. Um, the other, the next most common question was, how do I see a mariposa lily or where are they? Because they're really hard to see. Um, you could be standing right next to one if you don't know what it looks like um, and not notice it. And then the final question is, where am I? So a lot of wayfinding directions. So this is, for example, a really important one for um, just preserve management. It, it means that people are oftentimes maybe a little lost out there. So that's something we can work on as um, the land managers. Uh, next slide. 
Um, so here's another a lovely selection of our top um, seen wildflowers at the preserve. Um, so Docents also has the option to use iNaturalist, which is a community science tool. It's really nifty and cool. So docents were able to take pictures of things they didn't know, and, and we could figure it out later, even ask the broader um, community using the same app to identify a plant for them. Um, but also we were able to kind of figure out where are these plants and when they're blooming. So as you can imagine, that's really valuable information when you're thinking and managing um, a variety of species on the preserve. Next slide. Um, and we also asked docents to kind of just keep note of anything else they thought was interesting or helpful. Um, and so a lot of them kept track about what they talked about with different visitors. And these are kind of the top ones. Um, a lot of it was keep appreciation for keeping dogs on leash. Um, at Ring Mountain, dogs are supposed to be on leash at all times. Um, and that's to help protect um, ground nesting birds, um, but also uh, the really sensitive habitat where there are a lot of our plants that can be um, damaged. Um, other popular conversation topics was just the significance of rare plants and the uh, fragility of the serpentine grassland habitat. Um, and similar to the other distant programs we heard about today, there was a lot of discussion about how appreciative visitors were of the docent program and how they really like to have people out there talking to them about um, wildflowers and connecting um, in this beautiful landscape. Um, next slide. So I really want to, you know, again, thank our partners at the Merton Chapter of the California Native Plant Society, in particular David Long, Kristen Jacob, Eva Buxton, Paul De Silva, Bruce Homer Smith, and Stacy Pergretsky. Um, we really couldn't have done it without them and, and their leadership. And of course, our volunteers, which are too numerous to list. But um, I'm really happy that um, those 14 volunteers who all took shifts are returning this year. And they're going to help us develop the program a little bit better. And we're going to learn a little bit more um, how to continue to grow and develop the program. Thanks. Thank you. Nice pictures, beautiful pictures. I like them. <laughs> any, any comments or questions, Pat? Uh, hi, Amanda. Uh, I did have one question. Uh, um, given that we have some very rare uh, species, uh, plant species, flower species, is there any uh, effort on uh, California Native Plant Society to collect some seeds? I know there's seed banks. I think University of California has one for uh, wildflowers. I know East Bay Park District does. So I'm not sure if there's an effort there. there. A great question. And actually, we have had um, groups come out from those agencies to bank seeds. Not so much CNPS, but the 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 groups that um, have agency over that have come out to collect some seed when when it's available to, um, so for those rare species, especially that tip brown paintbrush, that, that first yellow plant we saw. That's great because <laughs> you can have uh, some kind of environmental damage and having but ha to the area. Uh, but if you have uh, the seeds in a bank, uh, you know, you can repopulate the species. So that's fantastic. Great question. I just have a, a quick question. Are you doing any specific outreach to the canal or Marin City or inviting students from those kinds of schools? We haven't yet, but I, I feel that uh, both 
myself and, and CMPS and the docents would really love to do something like that. I think we're just at this point still kind of filling out the program a little bit and trying to, no. <laughs> to refine it a bit, but I think that would be a fantastic that, idea. I, I would encourage you to think about that and maybe check in with the supervisor aides if you need some help. And then uh, two, looking ahead, you may want to have some um, uh, Spanish language materials available as well. That's a wonderful idea. Thank you for bringing that up. Especially it would be nice to, to share this with the school, high school, so get students interested in this this field. That would be awesome. Oh, definitely. And also, um, anyone over 18 or kids with their parents can also come out and volunteer, too. So if you know any buddy botanists, send them my way. They could send me an email, and I'd be happy to connect them. Thank you. Well, I, I have just a comment. So I, I live in Corte Madera, so it's an easy place for me to access. And I would just say a couple things that I noticed as a user. <clears throat> One, it seems like it gets a lot of uh, climbers. Uh, you know, the free climbers go up there to climb on the rocks. And I just wonder about how we can make sure you can accommodate them and minimize the impact of their sport. Not that they've really damaged a lot of stuff, but, you know, they make sure that we can support them to be it without having a negative impact on the area. And the other thing that I just noticed is that there's multiple, I mean, you, know, you park down at the bottom of the road or wherever you walk up, and the paths kind of all split off and go every which way. seems like people go in this way. And it seems like there's a lot of um, impact that could be um, harnessed or channeled so that people know, okay, this is an area to walk, but it's kind of like just walk anywhere. And you you started on a trail. Next thing you know, you're not really on a trail. You're walking. You're trampling things. So I think that there could be a kind of more thought on how the how the the park, I guess you would say, is accessed um, and signed, so people know directionally. It's easy to kind of get disoriented up there. Um, and uh, I think that there could be some more to kind of really minimize the negative impacts from not having that guidance. Yeah, I can jump in. So, yeah, we did. Thank you. And mm -hmm. agreed. Uh, all those are great points. I think the, um, on the access and trails, that was sort of our most, that was our most recent uh, area that we focused on for a road and trail plan in terms of coming up with a potential designation for what that network could look like in the future. And I think we envision that in the future we'll move towards some projects that'll do just that to better define the trail network, provide signage and, and, and improvements and reduce some of the redundant social trails out there. We've done some modest improvements with our team on the Phyllis Elman Trail, which is sort of the, one of the most popular trails out there, but there's a lot more to do. And then in terms of climbing, um, there's a lot of groups that do climbing out there and um, we do, they all get, come to us for permits, and so we have, you know, sort of an allocation of how many, you know, we don't want every single group there at the same time. That wouldn't be good for them or for the resource, and there's a lot of stipulations in those permits that we go over with them about the, you know, a low-impact visitation to the site. And from what I've, I've experienced, those groups are really great about um, uh, doing that. Um, and then the last thing, in terms of school groups, too, while we don't like have directly school groups working with the docent program um, with Amanda, there are school groups that come out there through partner organizations. And I know like Wild Care is an example 
that does programming for schools out there. Comments from the chamber or, or online? Chamber? No. Okay. Online? There are no hands raised right now. Okay. Thank you. So we move now to item number nine, an update on the Stafford Lake Park water line. Thank you, commissioners. This one will be brief and um, maybe uh, a lot less exciting than all these other really cool presentations. But our, the water line to Stafford Lake broke um, this last summer, and uh, it's not something that can be fixed easily. It was installed around 50 years ago uh, under the lake. So it just it goes completely under the lake, and the type of uh, pipe that was used is no longer uh, used. So we have been working with North Marin Water uh, on several different options for the permanent replacement. In the short term, uh, our team, and huge kudos to them for their quick work on this, work to install tanks out there along with you know pumps to get water into all the restrooms so that they could be reopened. So all of that's online, um, and there's bottle fillers, and there's water bottles available for people who get thirsty. So we've been trying to keep everything going. Um, we have, uh, I was hoping that we would have sort of some options to talk through with your commission and get feedback on. We're not quite as far along as we'd hoped for the, for the fix, but I wanted to give you a sense of sort of what the potential options are and, and what they look like and what our next steps are. So we've been working with North Marin to sort of um, consider potential options for replacing the water line. One option is either again putting the water line on the lake floor or doing a, a directional bore underground under the lake. That's probably one of the cheaper options and might be the one of the quicker options. The downside of it is that if it breaks again, maybe it wouldn't break for another 50 years, which would be fine. But if it broke again in the shorter term, it would be harder to fix. Um, we could also install trench, you know, on the surface, a pipe on the north or south side of the lake. Uh, that would take longer. The, it probably would take up to two years or maybe more um, and would cost quite a bit more. Could cost two to four million dollars. Uh, an additional option is we could consider digging a well and having well water or some other kind of um, water improvements there. So we currently, we worked with North Marin on sort of fleshing out those options. They've been a super great partner. If, if we went down the road of the, under the lake, through the lake, on the south side of the, the lake, the um, North Marin would probably be the project lead and we would fund the project. Um, if we did the well, obviously, that would be something we do on our own. We've hired an engineering firm to um, help us uh, do a feasibility analysis on those options. And then um, we will figure out sort of what the, what the best option looks like. And we'll bring an update back to your commission at your next meeting. Well, just rem remind me, I think you'd covered it last time. Um, is this an unfunded liability? Was it insurance or is it something that... It's not covered by insurance. 
Um, so yeah, it'd have to be funded by probably Measure A for us. Okay. Yeah. Right, thank you. So the, the the park is still operating. The parks, the park. The park is fully operational. So yeah, it's got we've got the water tanks out there. We have a truck, a water trucking company that's coming out to fill the tanks and. Oh, okay. Yeah. But the amount of actually potable water that's used there is fairly low, so it's not a. Could that be a long-term solution? It could be. We do that, you know, like Miller Boat Launch. Yeah. We have just a tank, and that's how we do the water out there. But in terms of, like, you know, carbon emissions and trucking water around, if we're able to have a pipe, it potentially, you know, if one of these solutions isn't super expensive, it's probably a good long-term solution. I mean, I think for all of us on our team, we probably lean towards the pipe under the lake. It lasted us 50 years last time. Um, and if it's, you know, significantly less expensive than the other options, that could be a good one. But um, we just need to kind of flesh it out with the engineer to understand sort of what the feasibility is and, and make those compare. I mean, that's one of the options to consider is if we just kept the short-term option as the long-term. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do we know, is there an aquifer under... That, so you know. we've, that's sort of one thing the engineer's going to help us look at. Okay. <clears throat> Novato Creek does go through our park property there. So likely the water table isn't too deep. The surrounding uh, dairies and agricultural landowners get water from improved spring boxes. So in talking to folks, they don't have wells. They have spring-fed uh, water. So we just, we really don't know very much about the feasibility of a well at that site. Is that an option? We don't have a spring on our park property, on our site. So it's not, that's not an option really. Is there not a residence there? We do have a residence there and they're also, we put a tank in and they're getting water from the tank. Any other comments from Chamber online? There are no hands raised. Thank you. <clears throat> so we come to the last, um, well, not the last, but the, uh, the number 10 item, is, which is commissioner report. Any reports since our, yeah, start with Pat. Well, we've both been participating oh, with the uh, Measure A Citizen Committee, <clears throat> okay. which is very uh, rewarding. Yes, Thank and, and uh, I was particularly, uh, I was interested in all the reports that came in on Measure A on the uh, Oversight Committee, but I was particularly interested in the Ag program, uh, the food program. Uh, I think it's really interesting uh, that there is a program like that. The first Measure A did not include that. You might recall there was a lot of discussions about, you know, the agricultural component of Measure A and uh, what adjustments would be good uh, or improvements to the previous measure. And uh, this was uh, an outcome of that. And uh, so it's kind of a local food program. And uh, I think it's innovative, it's very interesting. Uh, I'm sure uh, commissioners would be interested in, in seeing that in the future, how it unfolds. Uh, 
Uh, and then a, just a couple other things. Uh, previously, uh, we talked about uh, how we receive grants, uh, and the, the ones from the state are usually funded through state uh, resource bonds that get passed. Uh, and uh, there's currently uh, uh, resource bonds in the legislature. It's an active development. Uh, one is AB 1567, and the other is SB 867. Traditionally, these things merge into one measure, but right now they're, you know, both ends of the, uh, both in the Senate and the Assembly. Uh, and, um, you know, they're, they're capital measures, so uh, uh, should they be successful in getting to the governor? It takes two-thirds of the legislature to pass it, goes to the governor, governor signs it, then it goes on the statewide ballot. They're projecting this, these, this measure to be on the November uh, next year's uh, ballot in November, which will be good. Uh, and um, uh, 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 should it pass, and then it only needs 50% of the voters statewide to pass. Uh, so traditionally, these things do pass if they get that far. Um, but it would be a significant amount of funds available to Marin County Open Space and Parks and to other agencies in the county, too. So, uh, you know, as this thing develops, I'll, I'll, I'm sure Max will keep you up to date, and I'll, I'll try my best to keep you up to date, too. But uh, for long-term funding, having these uh, statewide bond measures pass is really crucial for our long-term capital programs of acquisition, development, and restoration. I should also say I'm continuing yeah. to work with the working group on the Food and Agriculture and Resilient Economy, the FAIR program, and we'll be looking at the applications for grants closed on December 8th, and then we'll be evaluating them, and I think bringing them back to the commission in January or in March. Max is nodding, that's true. So you'll be able to see the results of the first grant program. Thank you. How many, how many people How many people are on the oversight committee? How many? Seven, I think. Seven. Any other um, comments or reports? Well, I do have an announcement. Um, due to personal issues, I won't be able to continue with the uh, position at the, at the um, parks and open space as a commissioner, so I'm, I'm giving my formal resignation today. Um, I have enjoyed working my tenure here with the with the Marine County Open Parks and uh, Open Parks, and, and I am so grateful to have served the community and especially the support that I have been given by uh, Max, Chris, and Kevin all the time, and of course all of you commissioners. Um, and uh, if I can be of any assistance with this uh, transition. In, or in the future, please do not hesitate and, and let to let me know. Right, this will be effective uh, January first, twenty 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 fifth. Thank you, thank you all, and blessings to all. Uh, continue the good work that you're doing. You'll be missed, Oscar. You're, you're yeah. always. Uh, I'll miss you too. I'll miss yeah, you. yeah. You're thank a you. Great person. Yeah. yeah thank Guardado, you. Commissioner Guardado, I'm 
very appreciative of your leadership and you've really stepped in and, and led this commission in an important time, so thank you. Thank you to all. Well, without further ado, uh, next meeting is scheduled for January 18, 2024, and we dismiss the, the meeting at uh, 204. Thank you. Muchísimas gracias, señor. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate you. It works. Okay. Next meeting. Okay. Vice Chair. Record.